Well, I invite you now to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, which is found all the way towards the end of the New Testament, right before you make your way to Revelation. And we are continuing on in our series through the book of 1 Peter. Whether you were with us last Sunday or not, it will help you as we walk forward this week to understand sort of the broad context that we began to discuss last week and we'll continue uh, this morning. Uh, We saw this uh, theme last week of our living hope in Christ, that we have a living hope in Christ. And the challenge we saw in particular last week is that although Peter begins his letter by blessing the name of Jesus, by praising him, and we see and know that we're called to walk through each day uh, in worship, in giving glory to, to our Lord and Savior, we really struggle with that. And there's a, a lot of reasons probably for that. But one in particular we focused on last week is that we live in this in-between time. In between what uh, Christ has done in our lives and have begun to experience and the fulfillment of that. When he returns, when we meet him in his heavenly kingdom. We're in this in-between phase. And that affects us in a couple of ways. Again, certainly we have trusted in Christ. And if we have, we have begun to know his forgiveness, his grace, uh, power to to see a transformed life. We've experienced those things. We, We have a relationship with Christ. We even talk about it that way. And yet we await the fullness of that. Something more is coming. And one of the problems for us as we face this in-between time, where there's a lot of brokenness, if we're honest, where there's a lot of challenge, struggle, and even suffering, is that our propensity is that instead of to direct our hope to Christ, to have a living hope in Him, we tend to run to all the things of this world to quench that longing. We tend to turn away from Him because we're in this waiting period. And it's a tough spot to be in. Well, we talked about that this week, and that theme carries over this week into our passage, but I want you to see how it particularly applies. It applies to this reality that, again, we're, we're called to find joy in the glory of our salvation, but one of the big barriers that we face in this in-between time we're in is suffering, is struggle, is trials that we go through in various forms. As we read these verses, what I want us to see is that it's actually precisely right in the middle of the suffering, the trials, the difficulty that we face, rather than being barriers to our glorying in the salvation we received, that's actually precisely where we can see that glory most clearly. So I invite you to stand with me. I think you'll understand what I'm saying as we move on through this passage. We stand in recognition of God's holy and true word. Uh, If you need a Bible, there should be one on the end of the pews there. Uh, I'll read aloud as you read along silently, starting in verse 6 of 1 Peter chapter 1. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor 
and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about grace, about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when they predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You may be seated. As you do, let me pray again for us. Oh, Father, we're about to spend a few minutes this morning meditating upon things that angels long to look into, to know more about. Oh, Lord, give us a longing to know and understand the things of you, of your kingdom, of your glory. Do that work, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've ever had a chance to watch one of those little History Channel stories or military documentaries on the D-Day uh, World War II invasions of Normandy, you'll recall that the Allied soldiers, as they sought to advance to the glory of victory, encountered a number of barriers. In fact, they called Europe Fortress Europe at the time because all manner of obstacles, barriers, surrounded it through which those troops would have to pass. One of those uh, barriers that you maybe have seen, if it's in your Saving Private Ryan or whatever film you can think of, are those metal crosses that actually have six, uh, six sides to them. They're called hedgehogs and were put on the beach to keep the landing craft from being able to get in very far and maybe keep the tanks from being able to navigate all that well. They were barriers to the troops advancing. But that wasn't all. Uh, even as those troops would get further inland, they hit these gigantic hedgerows that had been uh, filmed from planes flying overhead, but they hadn't realized how big they were, that a lot of them were 8, 10 feet tall, uh, lines and lines of bushes packed closely together, and maybe 8 or 10 feet deep, almost impossible to pass. Even the Allied tanks couldn't drive through them. Barriers. Barriers had to be incredibly discouraging for those troops to face those barriers and not be able to be moving forward towards their goal. It's interesting, one thing that the soldiers figured out how to do. They took those same crosses, those hedgehogs from the beach, the steel from those, and with a blowtorch in hand were able to cut those pieces of steel into giant teeth that they then mounted on the front of their tanks that were paralyzed to move through these hedgerows. Guess what they created? A giant hedge clipper 
Just like you plug in and trim your clip, your hedges in your yard, they created this huge thing that could then plow right through, make its way on through, and free the troops to fight the battles they had come for. Well, the reality is that suffering, trials, difficulty in the Christian life looks like a barrier to us having glory, having joy in our salvation. But for believers, Peter reminds us of this strange, it almost seems obnoxious reality that actually suffering and difficulty for the Christian helps us move deeper into that glory and salvation if we see it through the eyes of faith. If we can, if you will, take the blowtorch of faith and apply it to those hedgehog barriers in our life and see that suffering itself mounted on the tank of the Holy Spirit that's at work in our lives, we too can see the Lord allow us to break through the hedgerows that keep us from seeing the full glory of salvation. In fact, it's precisely there that we can see that glory. If you want to follow along with me in your worship guide, you can uh, back in the back of your worship guide is this main idea that I want us to meditate on. I've hopefully already been touching on it a bit. And that's this, that we're invited to rejoice in the glory of our salvation precisely where we endure suffering in this life. It's actually not a barrier. If by God's grace we can use it, it can be mounted on that tank and take us on forward to see God's glory. And as I talk about suffering and trials, I realize, first of all, in a group this large, we got some folks that are probably right in the middle of what you would describe as the most difficult time in your life. Some folks have tasted that years prior. And as I talk about suffering and trials, you think back and you remember that time period. Others of us, it may be yet in the future some very significant and great struggle. But all of us face trials and difficulties, even in our day-to-day life, whether it's chronic pain or illness, whether it's just the suffering of the insecurities that we walk through life with as sinful people. It may be depression. It may be job loss. loss. It might be, some of these things, the result of our own decisions. Or it may just be in God's providential plan to allow us to walk through these trials. But regardless, it's not easy to rejoice in trials, to do what Peter is telling us we can and should do here. That's not easy at all. It's not easy to find glory in it. And before we go forward, let me just say something about suffering too and the Christian's view of of suffering and trials. It's different from really every other perspective in the world. One is that we, we recognize it's real. It's not like uh, perhaps the Eastern worldview, particularly Buddhism in particular, says that really it, the issue is just with you. You're just imagining this. If you can just think differently about your suffering, then it will go away. 
Now, the Christian says, it's real. The struggles that we're facing in life are, are real. Nor do we want to line up with our culture's sort of mix of Stoicism and Darwinism kind of combined together that says, oh yeah, suffering's quite real. It's absolutely real. But it's hopeless. So just button up and just plow on forward with life. Make the best you can. Now the gospel says suffering's absolutely real, but there's glory to be found in the hope of our salvation right in the midst of it. Let's talk about that this morning. The first thing we see is just this theme of glory, of suffering and salvation. Look with me at verse 6, back at our passage in 1 Peter this morning. It says, in this you rejoice. Again, maybe if we've heard these verses a number of times, we, we miss the total you know, seeming paradox and contradiction here. But listen to what he says. In this you rejoice. You're having joy. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Sounds real similar to a passage just a page or two earlier in my Bible, in James here. The very first verses, it's interesting, say this. Verse 2 of chapter 1 in James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Sounds pretty similar, doesn't it? So Peter's not just surfing his own wave here. Other folks can testify to the same reality. We don't know exactly what the trials that these early believers faced just like we've got a variety of trials and struggles in each of our lives that may vary uh, with where we are in life or what we're facing, uh, it's certainly possible that they were facing some significant persecution. That was something that they were struggling with. It could be all manner of things. Peter's point is that they can actually experience God's glory more deeply in the midst of that. And he points out two realities that, will help, that help them and promise to help us. The first is that it's temporary. It's temporary. He says this in verse 6. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. For a little while. I want to say I realize today that as I get up and speak, there are some here that have been struggling with things that happened to you or that you did early on in your life, and that suffering and struggle continues on, or there are things just over the hill for some of us that may last for years. That may be a bitter pain and struggle for years, that suffering. And so to say that it seems like a little while, what is Peter's message here? We don't take that lightly. Again, he takes suffering for real. I do as I speak to you this morning. But what he wants us to see, and it really is important, people, is that the grace and glory of salvation and eternity with God is eternal. It goes on forever. So even if we're wrestling deeply in this life, or for a long season even in this life, it's short in comparison. You know, it's interesting when we think about what we deserve, where we would be without salvation, uh, separation from God eternally. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, that uh, Puritan of the 1700s, American theologian and pastor, he gave this illustration one time. 
He said that if you were in a room and trapped, and there was only one door out of that room, and there was a pile of sand piled 20, 30, 40 feet high and equally wide in front of that small door, your only way out. And if one bird once a year came by and picked up just one grain of that sand and flew it off, that person stuck in that room would have more hope than someone who had to live without God for all eternity. Sobering. By contrast, we've been given an eternal hope. We've been given, if we're in Christ, we have salvation, we have joy, we have eternal bliss to look forward to. And so Peter just wants us to remember that ultimately all of this is passing. All of it is temporary for us. Second thing we see under this first point is that not only is uh, suffering uh, temporary, it's tempering. It's tempering. Look with me again at our passage for today. It says in verse 7, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, what is that talking about? Well, Peter's trying to tell us the other way that, another way that suffering, difficulty actually helps us connect more with God's glory is that it tempers us. You ever see one of those guys, the blacksmith, hitting away on the steel and putting it in the fire and hitting away on the steel a little bit more and shaping it? This is the picture here. When he talks about us being tested in our trials, he's not saying, you know, you might get an A or B or you might get a pass or a fail. He's talking about the fact that it it actually strengthens us. It actually makes us stronger in our faith to be tested, to be tempered. What does it uh, mean here, though, when it says, uh, if you read along with me and, and read it carefully, it's a little confusing on the surface. It says that the genuineness of our faith More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. What's he saying there? He's saying we have an incredible commodity in our possession. If gold is the most valuable thing in this world, and gold gets tested and refined, our faith, our relationship with God, is actually so much more valuable than that. And gold, even as precious as it is and as tempered as it is, as much as we try to lay hold of it, it starts to dissipate over time. It starts to disappear. It perishes. But not faith, not our investment, if you will, in our relationship with God, our trust in Him. He doesn't lose it. He doesn't let it go. He keeps it. Oh, love that will not let me go. We just sung earlier. It's incredibly precious, our relationship with with the Lord. And so what Peter is saying here is that God is more interested, more concerned with developing that work, that faith, that valuable thing in our lives than he is even with our comfort. Because the reality is that sometimes we need to be discomforted so that we can see more of the glory of our salvation. And that's the second point I want us to look at today in this passage. The glory of believing without seeing. 
Look with me at verses 8 and 9. It says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What's he saying here? Suffering, much as we don't like it, whether it's small or large, it provides an opportunity for us to take our eyes and lift them off of just the things that are around us and see more of the Lord. Whatever our suffering is, again, I'm thinking here broadly, there's a form of suffering that parents go through in trying to raise a child who doesn't want to go along with the program. There's a form of suffering of parents, of children who have parents who aren't always doing what we should be doing as parents. That's a form of trial and suffering. We suffer the thorns and thistles. We might not think of it that way, but of our daily work, whatever our calling is, every day where it does, it feels like hedgerows, doesn't it, sometimes? It feels like they're about eight foot thick and eight foot high to get through that thorns and thistles of the calling that God has for us. That's a challenge. We might suffer the loss of a loved one. We might suffer uh, ongoing illness, might even suffer some degree of persecution in this life. But it's interesting what Jesus says to Thomas. You remember when Thomas encountered Jesus after Jesus had gone through the crucifixion and so forth, and he appears, and most people would say, man, if I could just be like Thomas, I would really have faith. I would really believe because he got to touch Jesus. He got to put his hands in his side. And you remember Jesus, he accommodates Thomas. He lets him touch him, lets him feel it. But then he says something that's a little bit of a rebuke, I think, for Thomas and a really big encouragement for us today. He says in John chapter 20, verse 29, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe, and yet believe. Because we're blessed when we lay hold of this eternal reality, even though we don't see it, God says, you know, one of the reasons I give you trials is to lift your eyes, to allow you to see and lay hold of that in a way that maybe you never have before. You know what else is true about this? We talk sometimes in our circles about trying to witness, maybe we describe it as, or share our faith with those around us. And we maybe get this idea in our mind, which is, you know, not incorrect, but of getting alongside somebody, having lunch, and we're going to share with them some message, some information about Jesus, and perhaps they will receive that and come to salvation. That's true. That's witnessing. That's sharing our faith. The interesting thing, though, about seeing and believing something that we cannot see is that when we walk through a difficult time, when we walk through a struggle, and we believe that God is doing something, and we're trying to lay hold of His glory even in the midst of that, guess what? We're bearing witness. We're showing to the world that this heavenly reality shapes our lives now. We're giving testimony in that way. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing if by grace we can find ourselves to believe without seeing even in the midst of suffering. The last thing we see in these verses is in verse 10 through 12. And I think you'll see, I hope you'll see how these all tie together. The glory of living this side 
of the cross. And what Peter wants us to tell us right now, we talked earlier about the temporary nature of all suffering compared to eternity. Uh, This is the timing thing as well that he's speaking to here. He's saying that, yeah, this is tough to live in this in-between time, between when Jesus has come and when he's coming back to fulfill. No doubt about it. But he says, guess what? Other people would have longed to live this side of the cross, to hear and know the things that we know through this word, these revelations. Read with me verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12 real quickly. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquired in what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings, there's that word again, sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they weren't serving themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. We were, uh, my wife and I, as you know, are uh, helping to lead our Peru mission trip that's departing in uh, less than three weeks now, a team from our church and so forth are going down there to do the medical uh, clinic that we're going to do and share the gospel uh, in that context. And so everybody's got to get their immunizations, their shots and so forth. And we were talking to the, to the boys about this, my, my four little boys, and explaining to them the reality that they live in a time where the shots and things that they got when they were little and the, the shots and immunizations that mommy and daddy are going to, to get as we go on this trip people centuries ago would have killed to have just one of those immunizations, just to prevent one of the diseases that would kill people. In fact, exciting development this year, we don't even have to go down to the the main health clinic. We get all the shots, you know, with the doctor's uh, permission slip thing, prescription, at the Walgreens on the corner. I can go to Walgreens and get an immunization for typhoid a disease that would, would kill people. I can get uh, pills for malaria, a horrible disease. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, it's hard for us to appreciate what it was like a while ago, hard for us to remember what a blessing it is to live in this time. That's talking about medically, of course. What a blessing it is for us to live in this time spiritually, that we live in this side of the cross. Peter talks about it in Acts chapter 3. I'll read it briefly to you. He's preaching this sermon, kind of his first big sermon. It's interesting how he carries these themes on in 1 Peter. He says in chapter 3 of Acts, verse 17, proclaiming to all those who were listening to him, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore. Turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing, that sounds like joy, doesn't it? Joy in God's glory. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. In between time. He's talking about the in between time. Then he goes on, he says, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. And you shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. 
And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel to those who came after him proclaimed these days, these days that we live in. I'll conclude with this. You know, uh, last week, I guess it was, or maybe it was two weeks ago now, Neil Armstrong passed away. You probably saw it in the news. Um, absolutely an American hero. Absolutely did incredible things. But it brought to my mind a statement that I remembered hearing somewhere along the way about his accomplishments. Uh, certainly amazing accomplishments to be able to uh, get to the moon and do all that uh, our country did at that time. But it's interesting that at the time when he landed, maybe some of you know this, maybe some of you recall this, President Nixon said that this, what America had done in that week, what Neil Armstrong had done, was the greatest week in human history. The greatest week in human history. Now, we'll give Nixon some credit for perhaps being just overly zealous about the accomplishments that had taken place and all the awesome things that had happened. But even at the time, Christians noted and mentioned that there was another pretty significant week in human history that had already taken place and that was bearing fruit today. And as we think even about Neil Armstrong and a national hero and him going to the moon, I thought about the parallels to some of this, if it maybe will help us to track along. That's a pretty awesome thing that he did. But even as far as the moon is, the distance that Jesus went up to the cross was so much more. Even as dramatic as it was for him to walk Neil Armstrong on the surface of the moon, so much more amazing, so much more transforming, so much more universal impact, impact in the universe for Jesus to walk that path to the cross. And as much scientific know-how and power and force that it took to get that rocket up from the earth out to the moon, how much more power, force have we seen, do we experience through Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, risen up, to give us the privilege to walk in the glory of salvation? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do praise you that we live on this side of truly that momentous, most momentous week in human history of when our Lord and Savior went up and paid the price for our salvation and then rose again to demonstrate victory. And, Father, we pray as he walked through suffering and the glory of your salvation came right in the midst of that, that so too for us, Lord, wherever it is in our life today, that we're wrestling, that we're struggling, that we're maybe under a pile of deep, deep difficulty. Father, that you would show us your glory right in the midst of that and that we would walk in it for your praise and honor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.